Welcome to How We Run, the podcast about nonprofit success. I'm Trent Stamp, CEO of the Eisner Foundation. And I'm Julie Lacatur, and I help nonprofits with strategy, fundraising, and digital media. In this episode, we talk about one of the most important decisions an organization has to make, who to hire. We're joined by John Brower, the CEO of New Horizons, and the person that recruited him into that job, Allison Fuller of Envision Consulting. Hi, Julie. How's it going? <laughs> it's going well. How are you? Good. Uh, Trent, were you recruited into your position? I was. You were? A search firm found me. I was uh, I was running Charity Navigator in uh, Mawa, New Jersey, when uh, Morrison Berger, the uh, search firm here out in Southern California, found me and uh, convinced me to come interview with the Eisners and, uh, and eventually join the Eisner Foundation. You used an interesting word there, which is convince you. And I feel like one of the things I see in nonprofit is that we put job postings up, we expect applications, and we, we lose that word in the transaction sometimes, the convincing or the, the actual recruiting part of it. Absolutely. I mean, I think you have to, you know, um, the value in a search firm for me is that they go talk to people who aren't actively applying for positions. Um, and I think that, you know, that's the way it works in the for-profit world. It's the way it works in sports. It's the way it works in academia. I mean, if you want good people, um, identify them, go try to convince them, um, recruit them. Um, it's okay. It's not, uh, it's not sleazy or dark in any way whatsoever to identify who you think would be great at your job um, and go find that person and try to get them to come join you. Yeah, you have to persuade people sometimes, it's, and that's okay. It's a perfectly fine thing. Yeah. It's natural. <laughs> yeah. I see sometimes um, we hold that against candidates of like they don't seem to really want it or they don't seem to um, – be really, really eager um, early in the process. I can sometimes see it. And I think it's a good argument for some positions, but sometimes I think to your point, like you really want to recruit someone in to, to, and there needs to be a sales process to get them there. Um, oh, absolutely. I, I, now I've been working for the Eisner Foundation for 11 years now, and I think it's the best job in, in Southern California. I love it. Um, but when I was originally contacted 11 and a half years ago, I had another great job. I was really happy in that job. I had two small children. I had a nice house in, um, in New York and, and I was, and I was not looking to leave in any way whatsoever. I didn't even have a resume. Um, so, you know, when they called, I, I said, no, I'm, I'm fine, you know, but they called back and eventually after hearing of the opportunity and meeting the Eisners and coming out here and seeing what potential there was, I was absolutely convinced and I wanted the job completely by the time it was right. offered. But up front, um, it wasn't that I was playing hard to get. It was that I had a pretty good job at a pretty good organization doing what I thought was pretty important work. Um, and those are the kind of people that I think you want for your organization, right? We don't all want disgruntled people in bad settings who are spending most of their day applying for jobs in other places. Um, you want people where if they leave their organization, their staff and board are going to be sad. They're going to be disappointed that they're losing a good person. We're all replaceable. But you should try to go get the best person you can. Yeah, that's a that's a really great story. I think that highlights that. So today we're talking about recruiting. Um, and we spent a lot of time talking about recruiting the executive director. Um, the most important hire of an organization. Without a doubt. Yeah. Um, what 
things do you see? Do you see a lot of um, rotation in executive directors around town or within your grantees? We see some. Nowhere near as much as you do among development directors. Sure. Um, you know, that's a position where it's a, you know, finite and unique set of skills. Um, and if you can raise money for charity X, you can probably raise money for charity Y. Um, your programmatic exper- experience is, is maybe not as important as it is um, for an executive director. And let's be honest, boards love to hire new development directors rather than <laughs> rather than do their job to raise money. They think, let's get rid of this person and hire the person from the nonprofit across town. Right. Um, so I know several development directors who get five to 10 uh, headhunter calls a week. Um, That's just the most desired position within the nonprofit world. Um, You do see some of it with executive directors, um, but not nearly as much as you do with development directors. But, But certainly, you know, once you reach a certain point in a community, you don't want to leave that community. Um, You will move from one nonprofit to another. Um, What are some of the challenges, do you think, of boards um, doing the recruiting process? Um, I think, you know, I think oftentimes they don't see 95% of that person's job responsibilities. They see what they see, which is their interaction with the board Mm -hmm. and that person's fundraising ability. Um, But they don't see what it's like to manage staff. Um, They don't see what it's like to just be a good manager um, in a what is effectively a small business, Um, to relate well to volunteers, to relate well um, to low level donors. Um, You know, they see the the postings on Facebook and they see what happens in the board meeting um, and they see the bottom line on the fundraising, but they don't see what spends, uh, what the executive director spends the vast majority of his or her time on. Yeah. I think another challenge of boards and hiring processes is that it's the board does not spend their full time on this organization, right? And then, sure. then it's also a committee. So you've got this coordination situation in terms of hours, but also in terms of philosophies about the organization. So each board member can sometimes have a different point of view on the organization. So coming to consensus, I think, is really hard. I agree. And I think it's why every good board that I've seen that hires somebody and every good headhunter that does this, they do insist that the job description is the very first thing they do before they even start the process. Figure out what it is they want that person to do. Um, and I think you need to do that fresh every time you hire somebody. You, yeah, know? you can't just recycle. You the can't use the previous executive director's job description because, A, you don't know if they were actually doing that. Um, B, they might you know, have been leaving because they were not necessarily doing what you wanted them to do. Um, but really sit down and ask yourself the questions of what is it we expect from this person um, on a day-to-day basis when we're not looking, not at board meetings, um, and then use that as a guide and a template for how you identify and hire somebody. Really work off of it instead of just, okay, we created the job description. Now let's go hire somebody that we saw on TV. Right. Or someone from our own networks. Or a friend of mine or exactly. my business partner's niece or any of the things that cause organizations to make fatal errors. I am so glad both of you are here today. I'm going to have you start by introducing yourselves. 
Excellent. Well, I'm John Brower, and I am the CEO of New Horizons, a nonprofit working with folks with disabilities. Excellent. And? And I'm Allison Fuller. I'm a managing partner at Envision Consulting. Uh, we do uh, recruiting and strategy for nonprofits. Excellent. And we will get into this in a second, but the reason you're here together is that Allison, your um, company recruited John into his role, right? Right. And now, John, you work with Allison to do other recruiting for we do. your Absolutely. organization. Excellent. So we're going to get into that. But first, I want to hear about the organization. John, what, is it, what does it do? Well, the kind of lifeblood of it is that we serve folks that have a variety of disabilities. And like you and me, we serve 1,200 people per year. And uh, frankly, they just need a life like yours and mine. So it's everything from work to where they live to their social life and uh, just try to come up with a whole array of services so that somebody can have a really full and fulfilling life. Tell me about some of the things you provide. What are the, some of the services you provide? So right now we have a really robust employment services division. So we have about 350 people that are working in the community. Love that. Independent work. So these are folks that, you know, maybe to lead a little support and eventually uh, found work and now are, you know, gainfully employed and living like the rest of us um, to folks that are have some pretty profound disabilities. And those folks may need a lot more support. And so they may be in group employment or they may be in a volunteer job or um, may not even be working at all. In fact, just may, you know, bowl on Tuesdays and go to a dance on Thursdays and just try to have a full life. All right. That's great. And then tell me about the structure of the organization. You're the president and CEO. And then what kind of departments, um, how, how is it set up? What kind of departments do you have and staffing structure? So we have 450 employees and yeah, it's big. Um, and uh, we cover most of the San Fernando Valley. And so under our umbrella is everything from, you know, the kind of the typical stuff. We have HR, we have finance, uh, program services, residential. Um, and like any company, it's, you know, it's, a, it's something you got to manage and lots of people and lots of places. And <laughs> so, but uh, the bottom line is that for us, it's, it really is kind of managing a double bottom line, if I, to use that phrase, but it's really, we are trying to really make sure that we are providing excellent services to folks with disabilities. But also, I feel like I have a responsibility to my staff. I want to make sure this is a good place for them to work and that they thrive doing what they do as well. And, you know, so it's it's like managing both, you know, if you think about our clients, in this case, kind of our stakeholders, you know, there are our shareholders, and then you've got the staff. And so if they treat the staff well, then I think the, the clients follow in suit. And then you're keeping the doors open with regular fundraising and then some revenue or mostly revenue and some fundraising? Yeah. So our budget this year is about $19 million. Mm-hmm. And so about a million of that's fundraising and the rest of it's either social enterprise um, businesses that we own and run or government funding or fee for service or, you know, just, you know, as nonprofits, you patch every dollar or wherever you can to, to make it all work. Yeah, I'm familiar with that uh, patchwork quilt yes. <laughs> of, of strategy. <laughs> that's great. So, Allison, how did you first get introduced to New Horizon? Was, was it when the former CEO was leaving or was it after that? We got involved at New Horizons when we got a call from the search committee um, wanting a proposal for a executive search. They had already kind of decided how the exit was going to work with their outgoing CEO. Uh, she had a really nice bridge plan. And uh, this was actually kind of an atypical process for us because I think we first started talking to them in October of 2017. And then we didn't actually hear until about the search for another three or four months, and then didn't actually engage in the search for another two months after that. So, wow. Yeah. So the search committee was a board search committee. Yes, completely okay. comprised of board members. And they were just on it. So ahead of 
any, it wasn't an emergency. It wasn't like they just had a plan. Very planned out, very methodical. I don't know how many search firms that they interviewed, but more than four. And I mean, it was an interesting panel. Sometimes we get proposals and it's one person that we have a quick phone call with. This was seven board members uh, who all had a list of questions and were really, uh, really intent on finding a very um, integrated search process. That's really great. Um, my first question is about the exiting CEO's bridge plan. What did that look like? So I know that she had worked closely with their COO. And had she had transitioned from being the CEO to being the consultant mm-hmm. and had allowed and she was still on site and had allowed the COO to become the interim CEO. And so she was still there providing guidance, oversight, making those important introductions, um, but really allowing the COO to interface with the search committee, to interface with the board, to be that day-to-day with staff. So even though she was in the building and there to answer any questions, they were relying primarily on their interim. And for us, that gives us a lot more flexibility because we know that the ship is afloat. We know that it's in good hands, that everybody is, you know, no, we're not in crisis mode. And that makes the search feel very different because it allows us to be really thoughtful when we go out to look for somebody. Also, then I don't have to pitch it as a great opportunity to turn things around. <laughs> so that In terms right. of pitching it to a candidate. <laughs> right. Yeah, um, I think the recruiting process gets misunderstood sometimes as just throw the job description up there and then qualified candidates will definitely apply to it, right? <laughs> like that's just not the real world sometimes. So can you talk about how you've had to sell things to candidates? First, I think the, sell- the thing with selling things with candidates is being honest with organizations. And we get we tend to get uh, organizations who are saying, oh, yeah, we've already figured out the entire job description. You guys don't need to edit it. We know exactly what we want. And we get eight pages of qualifications that are all over the place in no particular order, and probably the low end of the salary range. And we say, okay, that I mean, that's a great start. Um, but where did you get this idea? And, and how did you come up with these priorities? And if you were to rank them from one to 10, and then we come up with our more realistic job description, which is usually more around two to three pages, highly customized in terms of what's most important, because everything is important. But what's most important? Where do we have wiggle room? Where do we not have wiggle room? And then we recraft the job description. Even then, People may not apply. Um, when we started this about seven years ago into the executive search, we would probably get about over 100 applicants. 80% of them were qualified. Now, I'm really lucky if we get over 60 applicants and 30% of them are qualified. Mm. I mean, there are not it's a, changed very much. Yeah. Um, and when we get somebody that hits that sweet spot of applying and being fully qualified, I mean, that doesn't happen very often. Yeah. Um, well, sometimes you have to go convince people right. to apply too, right? <laughs> to say, I thought of you. This feels like this has your skills. What do you think? Right. And in the world of email marketing, where you get 4,000 emails a day from Banana Republic is Wayfair, you know, overstock, some LinkedIn message that I sent you with a six-page job description it's not compelling. Right. So we really have to reach out to people. Hey, John, I know you from um, this organization. I know your skills and experience. I have an opportunity I want to discuss with you. 
is a lot more compelling in a personal reach than to send out these job descriptions in, you know, just kind of blanket form. Sure, sure. Yeah, I think when you post a job and you receive applications, you're doing about half of the work. Yeah, or I maybe mean, less than half. Probably of the work. less than half of the work. <laughs> okay, so John, wh- how when did you see um, this posting for this job? Did you come across it in a job search? Did they reach out to you? How did that happen? Well, it was kind of an unusual situation. I was working for another organization, had only been there for a year, and I really liked the organization, but um, its its mission was not the same as as New Horizons. So, um, I've been in disability services for most of my career. So, you know, part of it, I was kind of looking for myself, but also I, you know, I'm always looking to see if I've got a friend somewhere or what's going on and wasn't that familiar with what was going on in the LA area. So part of it was thinking, maybe I want to get on a board somewhere because I sort of missed the disability services side of what we were doing. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of playing around with that. And I saw the position um, through Envision for um, New Horizons. And I thought, you know, I think I can throw my hat in the ring and I'll, you know, really at that point, although I was thinking, I'm absolutely not going to take another job, but it's, you know, it may, maybe there's something that will come out of this. So it was just kind of this unusual situation. So I threw my hat in the ring. I filled out all the information, had, I think, a first screen with you all. Mm-hmm. And then um, I thought, what am I doing? I, I'm not a millennial. I'm an older guy. We don't change jobs. I, my, I was in San Francisco running a nonprofit for 15 years, and then I was in Virginia running one for 13. I just don't switch jobs. So I got... I thought, you know what, maybe I'll do this in a couple of years. Let me just settle in and finish where I am. I liked the other job very much, but I did miss disability services. So I pulled out. Mm-hmm. And um, at some point then, I guess it was maybe a couple of months later, I got to thinking I should at least just follow back with them. And uh, the timing was right. And I thought, you know, basically what um, Envision said to me was, you have nothing to lose by at least going to the interview. They were very gentle with me, I would say. <laughs> well, that's an important <laughs> right? recruiting right. trick. That's right. right. That's the best trick in recruiting. Right? Honestly, like- <laughs> you have nothing to lose, go in. And then, of course, I got on campus and I saw the clients and I thought, oh, what am I doing? Why am I being so resistant to this? But I will say there was something about interviewing in a place where you have a solid job. I like the job. I thought it was doing, you know, doing good work there. So you don't feel any pressure. So I went. You don't have the, to be emotional about you it. You don't. Right? And yeah. so you, I, I went through the interview process and I had a sense of who they were. Um, and I got a sense of the organization. So I think in my career, most of the times I feel like I have been interviewed. And in this case, I feel like I was interviewing them more so than, than maybe they were me. Cause I thought I don't have to leave. And, and the more I got into it, the more I thought this sounds like a really good opportunity. What I want to pull out of that story that I see almost every time I see Envision work is that you all are very good at building relationships it's for you to say, Hey, I, I get where you are right now, but go check them out. Go to the interview. Right. Like take it step by step. And I think sometimes what happens in I've seen it from boards. I've seen it from boards that I'm on. I've seen it from organizations I work with. And I've seen it as a job seeker. The rush. Let's get this done and get this settled right now is not a great way to build a relationship. So, Allison, can you talk about the importance of like. It's almost a negotiation and a relationship. Um, we do interviews a little bit differently in that we answer all candidates' questions first. So I don't make you wait until the end uh, to answer mm-hmm. a lot of questions um, because this is this. I mean, a job is a lifetime commitment. It is such an influence on the way that we live our lives. We're leaving our family, you know, we're leaving our home, and we're earning money. Yes, um, but this is 
especially a nonprofit, what we're doing is so core to, to our lives. So the first thing that somebody sits down with us is we really say, okay, you know, why this job, first of all, but tell me what you want to know. Tell me what you didn't get from the website. Tell me the things that make you pause when you read that job description. And let's talk about that. And let me see how you feel about that before I start peppering you with questions about your biggest fundraising gift and make you feel that this is a really one-way transaction. This has to be the right fit for you. And it doesn't start off being the right fit by me peppering you with questions about your best accomplishment or the, you know, the, the worst employee feedback that you've ever got that that isn't in in it by its nature relationship building um also i think being a ceo and executive director is an exceptionally difficult job um it, i have to hold myself back when people come in not to say oh my god why would you do this <laughs> because have you lost your mind right? <laughs> yes it's 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 a really so your first question interview is are you crazy right. a little bit yeah, exactly okay. right. a little bit because it's a hard job yeah. um it, you have all the all the all the responsibilities of a for profit in terms of managing your cash flow and employee drama and all of those other things and then you have a board of volunteers with varying levels of engagement, of interest, of knowledge, and they're in charge of you. And so I, we're very deferential to executive directors, CEOs to say, okay, like, what can I tell you about this organization that would make it compelling for you? Because that, that piece is going to be the best predictor of whether or not somebody can stay in the job and, and wants to be in that job. Yeah, that's a really good point. And you're positioning it as like a way to open it up for a good candidate to build a relationship with you. But I also think it's a very effective screening question, right? right? So you share saying like, what questions do you have after reviewing the website? And I'm thinking, oh, if only every candidate I saw <laughs> reviewed a website, <laughs> right? Like, right? So there's a little bit of that too right. in it. So these um, are very effective questions. I mean, the candidate that starts off by saying, I really don't have any questions. Oh, huge yeah, red flag. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you didn't, did you look at their 990? Oh no, I didn't, I didn't have a chance to, where would I find that again? And, um, that happens a lot. Yeah. Right. We, More I, often than not. It does. I mean, and if we have that good conversation and, and we've had candidates that said, I've already failed this interview because I did not do any research. And we'll say, okay, well, let's, let's talk about this role anyway, but let's talk about what you're really looking for and, and why, you know, what, what possessed you to come in and talk to the, about and I this imagine role. you like that level of self awareness as well. <laughs> self awareness is almost the biggest trait. qualification. Yeah. Uh, having been a candidate going through the process, the one thing I would say that was different about going through the envision process versus having gone through other, uh, other um, agencies is that I feel like not only by the way you set it up, I, you know, leaving the questions open in the beginning, but it didn't feel like you were trying to shoehorn a person into a position, but rather let's get to know who you are to see if this, you know, do you think it's a fit and why would you think it's a fit? That's a really interesting question that most people don't ask because at that point you're, you know, you've got an opening and you've got somebody sitting in front of you and you're trying to figure out if they're the right person for that position. But it just felt as a candidate. I mean, I will tell you coming out of there, I felt very respected. You feel like they're really just trying to make sure that's a fit on both sides, not just one side, which is really key. Thanks. Yeah. That's what we try to do. <laughs> 
Well, it's true. So you went to the interview. I did. You met with the board and you felt like you were interviewing them, which in I my did. mind was <laughs> like, oh, you must have been the top candidate immediately. Like anytime anyone can come into an interview and just kind of say, well, I have some questions for you and let's like and be realistic instead of just giving answers. I feel like that is a usually a candidate that shines. But then what happened? You know, um, the whole process moved pretty quickly after that. So, you know, I still went to the interview thinking, I'm not sure I want this or, you know, I'm again, it mostly was about timing, but the deeper I got into it, but I asked questions like things I, I have thought before, but if not asked in an interview. So I think one of the interview questions I had for them was, okay, so what happens if I come in and it's your very favorite employee and I don't think they're doing a good job? And I've tried to work with them. I've done everything I can. They're not going to make it, but they're your favorite. What are you going to do? And their answer back was, well, you're in charge. That's your job. Oh, a board. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I think that's a lot of boards don't see that. And the the reason for that was really more not that because I feel like most employees you can work with and help turn around and whatnot. But the board has to understand their role in all this. Right. So their their role is to, you know, hire and fire the CEO. But my job is to manage the people underneath me. And if that board gets that. Then you think, okay, well, that's a good answer, right? Yeah. Right. yeah. Well, that's a good way to assess, like, is this board managing at a 30,000 foot level or do they have their hands 100%. in the day to day? That's right. Exactly. Which we all know. Right. <laughs> we all know boards that do both, right? That's right. Well, yeah. and there's two extremes. There's a rubber stamp board that just goes along with you. And so you're not going to get the kind of support you want along the way or, or they're, you know, they're just so differential. And that's not very good. And then you've got groups that want to know every detail of everything for every day. And that doesn't work either. So you've got to find some middle ground in that. Well, and I think it probably felt like a fast process to you, but then hearing Allison cue it up, it sounds like a very slow process, right? But that's... Yeah. um, And I'm glad to hear you felt it move fast. (laughs) (laughs) Your face right now is like fast. Okay. Um, Because we first, he, so we have several screening levels and, and, and John met with both Matt and I, and then he met with the board. And part of, I mean, he's right. We wanted to get him in front of that board. He has a really great board and we felt that their personalities would mesh really well. And we thought once we got them in the same room together, that they would see that it would be as obvious to them as it was to us. And so after that, um, the, I mean, we, we gave John a run for his money though. Just, just so you know, John, (laughs) um, we present, um, we present a number of candidates four to five on every panel that we present. And, um, all of those are, I mean, really outstandingly qualified people. And, um, that after that, we ask them usually to, um, narrow it down from the pool. But in John's case, uh, they, they really just, he wowed them and they said, why? Why narrow it down? We think we found the one. So, oh, wow. Uh, I didn't know that. That's awesome. So, yeah, now that they know um, that we normally... Well, it'd be weird if we brought you on the podcast and right. like, well, you are a third, third. choice. <laughs> <laughs> you just, your face right. just falls. Well, I have some thinking to exactly. do. Um, <laughs> no, they, they just... Um, it, it, and happens sometimes. Some boards want to be really thoughtful mm-hmm. um, about, you know, well, maybe, maybe we should meet more candidates. Um, and some boards are more decisive. And with this one, especially as long as the search process had taken, and we'd had several meetings with the committee all the way along, and they wanted weekly updates, I was sure that this was not going to be the kind of board that would make that kind of connection. Um, but we were very pleasantly surprised uh, when they did. Well, it sounds like they had done the work of knowing what they were looking for, too, which sometimes you find a process where 
you are like, I think it's clear you don't know what you're looking for because you don't like anything. Right. 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 I mean, that's real. Yeah. It happens a lot. Yeah. So how do we, um, so what's your advice for a board to not be a board that it just gets stuck in a forever recruiting process for a chief executive officer? I think being really clear about your priorities as individuals, because what happens a lot is that we get to the search or what happened with a lot of searches is you get to the end. And what I think is a priority, which is I'd like this new guy to make a million dollars in the first year, <laughs> right? And the other person just really wants them to to write the ship and for everybody to get along. Somebody's going to be disappointed mm. after the year. Somebody is going to be standing in the interview and going, well, why did you ask that question? And for for us really laying down the expectations before you bring candidates into the room, before you write that job description and send it out into the ether, have the hard conversations internally now before you start bringing in outside people um, because they're not going to solve your problems. They're going to amplify them. Yeah. Even with a strategic plan, I think people have individual expectations. So that's that's a nice way to have it out. Right. Um, so, John, you're the head of the organization now um, and you have done some recruiting. So how do you approach building a team? You know, having been in the nonprofit world for 30 years now that you realize the culture of the organization is everything. You, if you bring somebody on who's smart, even if they haven't done the particular job you're thinking about or have done a piece of it, you can train people to do that, but it's really hard to train for culture. So part of that's really, you know, and, and being the new guy in there, you've got to spend six months understanding what the culture is because it's not your first, you know, look at it. It's not the 10th look. It's the hundredth look that you start thinking behind every rock, there's something and you really want to get a sense of what is it to begin with and then start making sure that you've got a vision for what what it's going to look like and get the existing team to kind of get on board. So at least they understand what it is that you're talking about. Like, how do we dress one another's meetings? You know, what, what's the respect we show when we're going to show up on time for a meeting or whatever it is? Um, how do we dress our, our parents or our consumers or whatever it is, our, our constituents? If that message is clear, then at least the existing team knows what you want. And then you know what you're looking for for somebody from the outside coming in. So if you can promote somebody that's always from inside, that's great. But if not, you want to be really clear about what you're looking for. And to me, that's that's 90% of the battle. Um, what uh, recruiting mistakes have you made? Oh my gosh, so many. <laughs> you know, sometimes... I didn't you, want to presume that there were any, but I right, feel yeah. like... Maybe one. This is a, you know, this is a and, <laughs> Well, I mean, uh, frankly, you know, I, I um, much to my chagrin, when I finished my master's degree and went, you know, I left, I owned a construction company, left that to go into the nonprofit world, and I just had a lot of assumptions about everything's going to be like a business in a nonprofit. And <laughs> there are so many parts of it that are, and it really makes good sense to do that, but there are so many parts that are not. Um, Can you be specific there? Like well, what? well, for example, I thought moving into the nonprofit world, well, everybody's going to sing Kumbaya and we're all here for the clients and <laughs> we're all going to work as long as we have to work. And, you know, isn't this great? And we're going to be friends. And this is a job like any other job in that way. And, you know, you've got to find folks that really get the mission and that the other thing is so but part of what I think over the years I've been able to accomplish is we've we've owned and run a number of social enterprises businesses. And I've learned that you don't hire somebody who's really good at social service to go 
run a janitorial company or to start a bakery or to, you know, get into the, you know, whatever industry you're getting, you've got to hire professionals in that field. And then you train them to work with folks with whatever, you know, your, your population in our case, special needs. And so it's, there's a couple of things. One is just understanding, you know, you got to understand who's coming through your door. <laughs> and second, being really clear about a job description, expectations, all the things that our business see. But in social services, a little different, you know, it's got a little bit of different rub to it. So you've got to make sure that you've hired, hired somebody that's got a heart, but also, you know, gets that this is going to be hard work and you're going to have to make hard decisions. And, and, uh, sometimes, you know, it's, it, you're going to feel like, wow, I, today I just failed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just once a day, just, just mm, once a day. Right. <laughs> I feel it multiple times. So, um, <laughs> So it sounds like what you're saying is, you know, you can have all these things in the job description um, of things that you need this person in this job to do. But when you're recruiting, you're not looking for someone to check every box. The first box you're looking for them to check is, do they understand our culture and can they, do they have the same mindset of us about in terms of serving the customer, not mindset in terms of beliefs and like you know, how we dress and how we act, but like, it's more like, do they come out the work in the same way we do? And is this somebody that you, you feel like that, you know, you can really help learn and grow and teach and they can be a part of a culture that really is healthy. And we're going to, we're going to look out for each other. Part of what I like to make sure is there's a work-life balance and that I expect them to come to me at eight o'clock at night. If I'm still there saying, you know, what the hell are you doing here? Get Mm -hmm. out in the same way. I'm going to do that to them because we're going to watch each other's back to make sure that we're taking care of each other. Cause if we don't take care of each other, we're not going to take care of the clients or our customers and whatnot. So again, you're hundred percent right that it's, it's a way of looking for somebody who's got the right mindset and who, you know, has the smarts to be able to do the job itself. And from there, a lot of it just takes care of itself. Oh, that's a relief. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, tell me about some of your best practices for uh, recruiting. Um, how far in advance are you starting? Do, I mean, I know you don't always get that the ideal amount of time right. to find somebody, but. Well, so, for example, we had an employment services, a senior manager position open, and it took us a year to find somebody. Oh, wow. And it puts a lot of stress and strain on the team while you're doing that. But on the other hand, you wait till the right person. And, and look, you never know who exactly is going to be the right person, right? You don't know till somebody actually starts a job and they're in it. And but truth be told, you, you roll your dice and you try to, you know, kind of hedge your bet and know you asked the right questions. They've answered them in a way that you feel confident. And um, in the end of that, I'd, I'd rather take our time. And, you know, there's an old adage, which I'm sure you all know much better than I do, but, you know, you hire slow and you fire fast. And so if somebody's not working out, you let them know right away. But if they're there and they've got the chops, then you want to make sure that you've supported them and found ways to make sure they feel appreciated. So it sounds like there's an onboarding part process in there too. Absolutely. As well. That's what does right. your onboarding process look like? So, um, for example, so our, uh, one of the things I think is really important. So, you know, again, we have 450 employees, but personally, and this is, you know, everybody's style is different, but I want to make sure I know everybody's name. I know people's stories. Um, I walk the campus at least twice a day. It doesn't sound like such a big deal, but when you've got, you know, kind of a thousand chickens pecking at you every day, sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, getting up and making sure that you've made the rounds so that people see you and they know you're accessible. And because honestly, I learn more from walking around the campus sometimes than I do from all the reports I see and from, you know, all my, my one-on-ones with folks, you know, my direct reports who come to me because somebody will just say, Hey, did you know that, you know, the gate over there still isn't working and it's been two months and I'm worried the clients are going to get out that way. 
there's just a way of fixing it very easily for somebody and for somebody to feel heard. And so to, to me, the, you know, the onboarding process is getting people in, getting them in early and making sure you spend the time so they don't feel like any job, but specifically probably in, in nonprofits where you've waited a long time. There's such a temptation just to throw somebody in the job and go, okay, whew, that's done. Now I can go back to the 500 <laughs> other things I have to do. Exactly. Yeah. But you have to sort of say, no, that's day one. And now for the next 90 days or whatever the timeline is, you've really got to spend some time nurturing and understanding and really kind of help grooming them to have the understanding of what the organization is. And so in my case, if it's a direct report, then I spend a lot of time. And if it's an indirect report, then, uh, you know, this doesn't happen, obviously, with all the staff. But if I can take somebody out to lunch just to get to, you know, I want to learn what, what makes them tick. Why are they here? What is it? What is it they want? Because, again, if they feel like it's an open door policy, and again, you know, you can't have 400 pe- people coming in and out of your door every day. But if they know what the rule is and there's something they feel is untoward or unsafe and they feel like they've not been heard somewhere else, Man, for them to feel like they can come in, that's that's a kind of an onboarding that they will remember for the rest of the time that they're with you. Yeah. Um, how do you make the decision to um, run the recruiting process yourself or when to work with a recruiter? So if it's if it's a position that I know I'm looking for something very specific, um, I absolutely will go to Envision because I feel like they're they're just the experts at it. And frankly, they have the time and the energy to put into something that may get 60 or 100, you know, resumes, I just don't have the time for that. And our HR department's just inundated. Um, we have a residential program that is 24-7, and so there's just always a need. I know they're going to spend a lot of their time doing that because we have regulations, and so that's not a position I can afford to wait on. I know that's where I want them to spend, you know, that's the ladder against the wall that I want them to spend the time. If it's a management position, I want to take my time. I want to make sure that we found the right person. And so I have learned to trust not only from what my experience was, although that was key because I thought, wow, if I felt taken care of in an interview, I want somebody else to feel that as well. So to be able to go through Envision and then I want to make sure that then the most important thing, and I think Allison already said this, but is that it's the communication about what is you're looking for? Because if we're clear with you all, then I start getting candidates and then I love it because it's a horse race. Like, oh man, there's five really good people here. Mm-hmm. And so I really get to decide who do I think is the best culturally fit, you know, culture fit because everybody else can do the job. Right. Yeah. So it sounds like you're letting your HR department focus on like the fast, frequent fills. Right. And then you're turning to the recruiters when you want to be doing more strategic recruiting. A hundred percent. That's exactly right. I usually try to stick to questions I probably know the answer to. Um, but this one, I really have no idea. You, Your title is president and CEO. King. What does that right, mean? King. Is that wrong? <laughs> Why do you have two titles? No, I'm serious. I've always wanted to ask someone this. Like, what does that, what does president and CEO mean when it, we see it as a title? You know, you probably could answer the best because honestly, it doesn't mean a whole lot to me. At the end, I've been executive You're director. Like, cool, that sounds great. Right, that sounds lovely. Well, yeah, and that's right? another question of like, <laughs> right. what's the difference between executive director and CEO in our industry? I'll see tiny little organizations have CEO roles, and then mm-hmm. I have see gigantic organizations have executive director roles, and it's. Mm-hmm. Enlighten me, you guys. I I wish I had a magic answer for this. <laughs> oh, no, that's, I feel no. better than that. Uh, but <laughs> but here's but I do have an answer um, in that because a lot of organizations will come. What happens is here's what happened. They had a previous executive director who wanted some kind of elevation. Mm-hmm. And a so title, they became yeah. CEO and then they also took on president. Like but as a board role? Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes it's written into the bylaws. Yeah. Um, I've seen that. And, and 
but it's still a $500,000 organization. And so we have to have, and actually, if we look at it from a salary perspective, they're two very different salary grades for the president and CEO versus executive director. Absolutely. So we typically like to, and it doesn't always go over well, especially if there's an outgoing CEO and president. Um, We typically like to say, look, if you're under $10 million, the title really is industry standard executive director. You're not a member of the board. We don't usually recommend a CEO to be a member of the board. If you're over $10 million and really Look, the thing about a a CEO is it's not just a title. Being the executive officer means that you have executive functions. And so things that I'm looking for in a chief executive officer, I'm looking for a lot more financial literacy, better financial acumen, better risk management. An executive director of a smaller organization, I'm not going to be as picky on those specific items because you're not managing uh you know, a well, yeah, I think it, it sets an expectation to a candidate too, like CEO, and then you get in, and there's like five people, right? I think, I think one of the things, and I, I transitioned from for profit too into the nonprofit industry. Um, one of the things that was really surprising to me, um, and continues to be uh, surprising to me is how much, how important ego is in these roles. Um, maybe, you know, ownership, we can call it something nicer. Um, but, <laughs> but own, but, but oh, having that kind of ownership, having that kind of title, it really matters culturally. Mm-hmm. And the organizations that want a CEO and a, a president, they see themselves very different than the organizations that see that have that executive director title. Interesting. Yeah. All right. We're going to wrap up with one fun question. Uh, what interview question should we banish for all time? You know, personally, I feel like it's all on the table because in the <laughs> end, I mean, obviously you want to make sure you're not asking personal questions. And I, I know that's mm-hmm. what you're getting at. But I mean, uh, you know, I, I always say if I'm going to ask, tell me, you know, what what is the one thing you want to improve on or, you know, what's your worst rate or whatever? It's a terrible question, but it does lead you down a path sometimes when somebody because if they can't give you an answer to it, then you think, oh, well, you know, what's going on with that or, oh, you know, whatever, okay. you know, and having been in that role. <laughs> so you're saying answering there's that question, no. No, there's no bad interview question. Then. I, I mean, sometimes you're just trying to see how a candidate acts, on, you know, acts on their feet, you know. Right. So, and I'm okay with somebody who says I just don't have an answer. Oh, I prefer that if they yeah. said I just right? don't have an answer. That makes me so much happier. I like uh, I like the weird questions. So yeah. <laughs> you know how Google asks the questions. You know why are manhole covers round mm-hmm. um, and and right. kind of weird questions like that. I don't mind those questions. I like situational um, situational questions because it's not so much about the answer as as it is to see about how people think. Um, but I I really hate the questions around fundraising specifically. How much money can you raise for us in four months? <laughs> I always okay, say um, that's a terrible question. <laughs> I, I always I answer I'm that one and right. say which four months? Right. <laughs> right. Is exactly. it the first four or the last? How's the holidays? Because yeah. that's much yeah. better than. <laughs> and how much work are you willing to do? Yeah. Right. But yes, right. these are sometimes yeah. not. Right. I think sometimes we think we're getting information that we're not getting. Right. Or who can you introduce us to that is going oh, to bring us money? I actually like that question because then I know to run. <laughs> <laughs> right. Again, it's information. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It's right. like red flag. Right. Goodbye. Exactly. This is over. Exactly. Well, thank you both so much for being here. This was delightful. And um, I think I learned a lot. So this was a lot of fun. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much.
I think it can be really good for organizations to be using outside help at this stage, when, especially when hiring an executive director. It's the one area where I have a little bit more sympathy for the consultant or mm-hmm. the outside firm. Um, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of hiring consultants to come in and do the work that your people were supposed to be doing in the first place. Sure. Um, they spent way too much time just trying to understand what the organization does. Uh, and exploration. Then, and then proposing a bunch of solutions that the smart people who work on the staff have already decided um, didn't work. Right. Um, but when it comes to executive search, um, I think there is value to the process. There's value to the experience. There's value to that uh, network of connections. Um, but there's also value in getting it out of some of the board members' hands mm-hmm. and getting it outside the organization and allowing for that external look from 5,000 feet to see what it is the organization really does and where they find somebody who can best serve the organization. Yeah, that's true. Um, what do you think about having a strategic plan before you hire an executive director or having the executive director come on and then help with the strategic plan? I would much rather prefer the latter. Yeah. Um, you know, nobody wants to be handed, you know, a, uh, a list of, of what you're supposed to do without, um, you having any input into what you should do. Um, so I, I think that if you are going to hire a new CEO, a new executive director, it's best to get their input on the strategic plan. And you just mentioned the titles that we see often, executive director, president, CEO, how are you seeing the difference between those titles? I see you five people organizations sometimes have a CEO and um, and then, you know, huge organizations sometimes just have an executive director. But how do you see those titles? They make no difference to me. Um, I think that it's usually just culture and um, ego. Um, and oftentimes we don't give somebody a promotion in terms of money. We give them a promotion in terms of title. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't make any difference to me. With the one I don't understand, and I just I, I will never understand it, is why a 10-person nonprofit has a person who is the CEO and president. <laughs> um, I, I just don't I, don't, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Um, and I'm sure that I'll get angry calls from more than one of my friends in the foundation world who will explain to me why they have to be the CEO and the president. Um, but, uh, but it just seems odd to me. I've seen executive directors at nonprofits that have more power than any CEO at, you know, any other nonprofit. Um, I just, you know, the, the title is not what makes the person and was, is not what makes the position. Yeah. Do you see any difference in, like, I never understand the president and CEO title. And I, in fact, our guest has president and CEO. And no, there I we asked, go. I just well, attacked the guest. No, 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 the huge organization. It makes a lot of sense. No, but I, I no, said, no, is, it doesn't. The no, president does. of the United States is just the president of the United States. Well, he doesn't have to be CEO also. So I asked, I said, what does that, what does that title mean? And he said, I have no idea. No, no one has any idea. <laughs> it's so all why? just, it's all just history and culture. And that's the way it once was. And we think, well, did it come from being the president of the board and the CEO of the organization? I, I think that there is probably a rationale for about four organizations out there. But then I think the others just became envy and it just became, you know, to get you to come be my executive director, I have to make you CEO and president. Um, I don't, I don't think there's rhyme or reason to how, why it's being, um, created at this point. I feel like everyone should get to pick two titles then. I don't and know. everyone's other title would always be office manager or it. 
We have foundation administrator <laughs> at, at our organization who does all the work while we all dance around. I'm, you know, I'm the CEO of a four person organization. So, well, then what will I? But I'm just the CEO. I'm not the CEO and president and executive director. But Trent, go for it. Get that other title. It's 100%. I met a woman at a party one time, and this story sounds like it's going to go somewhere way better than it is. Um, but it was a, just, it was a, a fundraising event at the zoo. Um, and uh, I asked her what she did for a living, and she was the Jaguar Keeper. <gasps> um, and it was actually on her business card, Jaguar Keeper. And I'm like, that's... Oh, I, my god! I just followed her around, and I said, that's the coolest title I've ever seen in my entire life. I would give anything to be the Jaguar Keeper. And she she said, yeah, you know, I make $26,000 a year. But Jaguar um, I Keeper. Said, I, she just doesn't, she didn't appreciate the title of Jaguar Keeper nearly as much as I did. I'm thrilled by this. I thought it should be worth at least another 60000 a year in, in psychic pay, but she was over it. Amazing. Um, on the other side of the spectrum, uh, a friend of mine's uh, boyfriend, I think, was the vice president of shirts. Oh. A clothing company, which sounded like a real <laughs> kind of buzzkill. <laughs> it does, but it also seems like that would really allow you to duck a lot of other duties as a sign. Yeah, like I'm just shirts. I, just, I can't, I'm I just, can't possibly. I can't do pants. <laughs> Thanks for being here, Trent. That went completely off the rails. Really Thanks did, to Jaguars well, <laughs> and, and shirts. To Jaguars and shirts. It was a pleasure. Good seeing you. That's all for today's episode of How We Run. Please check out goodwaysinc.com to find past episodes of this podcast and other tips about working in nonprofit. If you have any questions you want me to ask a funder on this podcast, you can tweet me at goodwaysinc. Please subscribe to How We Run on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app and leave us a rating and review. Thank you for listening. I'm Julie Lacature, and we'll see you next week for another new episode.